Hey you, welcome to Evolve, a show about the stories and skills of social entrepreneurs solving the world's greatest challenges. I'm your host, Brandon Stover, and today's guest is Sydney Hadoff, founder and CEO of Mishi, the pay-as-you-go healthcare company that puts consumers in control of their care by connecting them directly with providers on the basis of transparent and affordable pricing. No insurance needed. Since launching in the fall of 2020, Mishi has already welcomed more than 125 providers across seven specialties to the marketplace in just three months of active recruitment in San Diego. They are continuing to build out their provider network and plan to offer a full suite of essential medical services to their community and other major metropolitan areas across the country. Now, starting at the ripe age of seven years old and stuffing envelopes in his dad's medical billing company, Sydney has spent his entire professional career on the business side of healthcare building and managing teams responsible for implementing and optimizing enterprise software and workflow, developing business intelligence tools, and leveraging those systems to maximize physician revenue and profitability. Working with thousands of healthcare providers in most clinical specialties in our country, his experience has given him a multifaceted perspective on how to address many of our health systems woes. And while addressing the dysfunction of the $3.5 trillion healthcare industry is no easy task, Sydney's aim is to help the millions left behind by the system and the even greater number of people stuck footing the bill of the system's current inefficiencies. Today, he shares his expertise in the medical industry, how he approached building a two-sided marketplace, and the secret tool he uses to overcome challenges of being a founder. Now let's hear from Sydney about his mission to bringing healing back to healthcare through price transparency, equity, and access. Our mission is to increase access to affordable healthcare. The U.S. healthcare system in total is a problem. It's not affordable. It's hard to access in a number of different ways. It is convoluted and involved, and it's not easy. Getting access to care should be easy. It's a, a right that we all deserve as humans, and the ability to thrive and prosper and and excel and 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 be healthy is one that you know we're, we're really passionate about and, and we've seen a lot of people in my past experiences or friends i've had or, or friends of, of team members that have joined this journey with me we've, we've seen and experienced you know a lot of pain that's resulted from the way that the industry is structured and some of the you know misaligned incentives and frankly, a lot of the BS that's involved <laughs> sure. in accessing care. And so we are taking a stand and we want to do our part to try and, and again, increase access and to affordable care and do so in a way that's uh, equitable and, and transparent. And in doing so, I, I think we'll be able to hopefully change the world. Yeah, love that. Well, can you explain where the name Mishi comes from? I think it has a unique background. Mishi, yes. So Mishi is short for Misha Beira. It's a prayer for healing. And we are looking to bring healing to healthcare and to, frankly, the U.S. and, and the world. But in the U.S., I, I feel, you know, our most of our GDP is spent on healthcare. And most people who file for bankruptcy, I believe it's 60%, of people who file for bankruptcy do so because of uh, medical costs. And so the hope is by addressing this very, very large problem and, and starting in a very, very focused way that we'll be able to you know, not only increase access to care, but also help people. You know, yeah. That's what this is all about. It, it all comes down to helping people and, and again, helping them live their best life. And that means physically, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. Well, essentially, you guys have built a two-sided marketplace for consumers to directly access healthcare providers. And in three months, you guys have you know, already recruited you know, 125 providers and seven specialties. So if I were getting an x-ray today, walk us through the experience for the consumer and the provider on Mishi. Absolutely. So for the consumer, you would access our marketplace at mishi.co, M-I-S-H-E dot C-O soon to be an iOS and Android app, but for now we're, we have a mobile optimized browser-based platform. And for an x-ray, I believe that's one of our top services. So you could uh, click you know, the x-ray link underneath our top services category or type in x-ray into the search bar 
and uh, press search and the results will yield the available care options, x-ray options in your area. Uh, right now we're primarily in San Diego, but we've been onboarding clients in uh, cities, major cities across the country. We have in Houston, Chicago, New York, and uh, we're going to continue to grow. But from the search results that you would uh, get from searching x-ray, you would see your available options, make your selection based on price or distance. You could click into any of the service cards to see whether or not there's a specific x-ray and a specific price for uh, a specific body part that might be available. Some facilities offer one flat rate for all body parts, uh, other facilities and, and practices, provider organizations, if you will, differ their price based on the body part. And so you'd make your selection, you would add the, the service to the to your cart, and you would purchase the service, you would receive a, a care voucher, that's essentially an alphanumeric uh, code that you would use as your payment method when uh, contacting the facility or the mm-hmm. provider's office. And just to give you a heads up, the, the email that you would receive is confirmation. It would point you to your MISHI dashboard where you would see scheduling instructions and, and you know, how to reach out to the practice either by uh, telephone or some, a lot of practices now have online scheduling portals. We have a client who prefers to receive text messages to schedule care, which I think is, is very cool, all in a, a secure way, of course. And you, again, would use the voucher as the payment method when checking in or scheduling your care. And the voucher would be will be redeemed by the provider once the care is actually rendered. That's our way of confirming that the care actually occurred. And until the voucher is redeemed, consumers have the ability to cancel care, cancel their voucher and get a full refund with no, you know, no risk involved. But once that care is rendered and the voucher is redeemed, that's when the provider gets credit for the service rendered. And from the provider's perspective, they would receive a check for that full amount the following week. Well, before we get deeper into Mishi, I want to highlight some of your backstory and your career in healthcare started you know, long ago in your dad's medical billing company. What did you learn about healthcare or being an entrepreneur from your dad growing up? For as long as I could remember, being an entrepreneur was something that I aspired to because of my dad. You know, he's my, my biggest uh, role model growing up and was always kind of taught to think in an analytical way about businesses. You know, as, as early as I could remember, I would be challenged to come up with business ideas and he would usually shut them down pretty swiftly. <laughs> But over time, I got better and the ideas got better and it got easier for me to identify opportunities in in different areas. I I feel like I've had so many ideas over the last 10, 15 years that have that I've watched turn into technologies that are used widely today and, and solutions the same. And so I'm very happy to be taking the step towards and, and really kind of pushing for the solution that I feel will solve a lot of our healthcare system's woes. And in terms of healthcare, I was working in my dad's billing office at seven. Mm-hmm. You know, work ethic was a, a big thing with my parents, both who came from nothing, pretty much. My dad is Eastern European Jew from Brooklyn. My mom is uh, black from New both well-to-do, you know, put themselves up by their bootstraps. Sure. My mom went to Yale and graduated with a physics degree. My dad didn't go to college, but that was a hustler and, and worked his way up in the ranks of AT&T as a sales rep. And then, you know, eventually got the opportunity to start his own uh, billing company. But yeah, I've been involved to a very limited extent, I would say, in healthcare since I was a kid. I learned a lot about healthcare, about the industry in my time with the, the billing company. Yeah. And I was very grateful to get exposure to all of the different uh, facets of the physician revenue cycle. You know, it's a, they call it revenue cycle management is the formal term for billing. Billing is really only a piece of you know, the full revenue cycle. And uh, I was uh, had the ability to, and, and frankly, they got a lot of benefit from me going in and kind of digging into the different facets of the revenue cycle and identifying opportunities for improvement and efficiency. And in a lot of instances, I was given the ability to kind of affect change 
Mm-hmm. A lot of instances I wasn't, and it was very frustrating, but that also helped me to formulate my approach for you know, what my solutions would look like when I had my own business. I, I was frequently checked with the, you could do it your way when you start your own company. <laughs> and sure. that was very encouraging, frustrating, but motivating. Yeah. Well, explain going through some of these records, explain to our listeners the discrepancy between, you know, a bill charge that doctors send on an invoice to insurance companies and the contracted rate that they actually accept as payment from those insurance companies. That is the number one problem, I would say, in, in my opinion, with overall healthcare system is that concept, the, the vast discrepancy between the bill charge, the charge that you'd see on a surprise bill in the news, the charge that puts people into bankruptcy, the charge that results in so much pain and anguish and, and unfair treatment is so different than and, and so much greater and so inflated when compared to the quote unquote negotiated rate. It's called, it's referred to as the negotiated rate, the contracted rate, the discounted rate, mm-hmm. the allowed amount, the expected rate, that the, there are a number of different ways or or names given to what I call the true cost of care, depending on the context. And so the contracted rate, that's the rate that the provider is paid. So that rate that the bill goes out with is far greater. In some instances, I've seen the contracted rate 20, 15, 20% of the bill charge. That contracted rate is what the doctor's paid by the insurance carrier. It's called the contracted rate because the physicians, doctors, and medical providers contract with the insurance carrier for that rate. So the, the doctor says, I will accept, so it's called the accepted rate, the expected rate. I will accept and expect that rate for this service. And when I say this service, it could be any number of the thousands of CPT codes. CPT stands for current procedural terminology. Any one of those thousands of codes that essentially index each of the procedures that are available in our healthcare system. And so the contracted rate that a provider would accept is discounted when compared to the full fee, that bill charge. So it's also called the discounted rate. The discount is because or in return for the demand that insurance carriers drive to a provider's office as for as long as I could remember. And, and even before people turned to their insurance carriers and their networks for when determining who to go to for care. You know, before the advent of the internet, the, those middlemen, the insurance carriers, were essentially the agents for, for care, for insurance carriers and for providers. They were the ones to pay the providers and, and still are. They were the ones to direct consumers to those providers. But with the advent of the internet, I would say increasingly over the last 10 plus years, that's where we saw consumers and patients acting like consumers and starting to seek out care from providers that were increasingly outside of their networks, outside of their insurance carrier networks, because they saw that provider online and that provider got good reviews or might have written an article or posted a video. So from the provider's perspective, they're trading uh, a discounted rate for increased demand. And for the consumer's perspective, that contracted rate is essentially a ceiling for how much a provider can charge a consumer and how much a consumer could ultimately be responsible for, for the care that is uh, rendered. And I say the ceiling because the, the concept of balance billing is one where the provider will balance bill the, the consumer, the patient for the balance between the contracted rate and the billed rate. And that is illegal, a no-no for contracted providers because you are essentially, you are going outside the bounds of your contract and, and trying to collect additional funds and, and uh, interfering with the relationship that consumers have with carriers. So essentially, you know, as somebody that's maybe uninsured or, you know, a gig worker or, you know, an entrepreneur that often doesn't have uh, healthcare, we can come to a platform like Mishi and get that lower cost, the, um, that's not built to an insurance company, we're getting you know the direct amount. So it's a lot cheaper for us. 
And instead of you know going through an insurance company, we're dealing directly with that provider. Exactly. That was the goal and the thought and the impetus behind creating the marketplace and, and creating Mishi was to give people uh, who either don't have insurance or have insurance, but for whatever reason, might want to engage in a relationship outside of their participating network, give them an option to access yeah. care. Having insurance and, and coverage covers a consumer person from you know, massive, massive bills, but it doesn't cover them from deductibles that sure. have increased over exponentially over the last five to 10 years. And so the thought is that, okay, if the doctors are getting paid a certain rate and they'll accept that rate with or without insurance, and frankly, it's it's even better for them without insurance because they don't have to pay the 30 cents on the dollar in billing costs that I'm all too familiar with (laughs) from my industry to collect on their revenue. And they get that payment up front in full. So it's better for them outside of insurance, frankly. But for the consumers who, who don't have that protection, there's no reason for them not to be able to access care at that same rate. And so what yeah. we do is, you know, part of our offering, we're technically software as a service uh, company. And part of our offering is we help providers establish their cash pay rates uh, and, and help them mimic those off of the contracted rates that they, that they have with major medical insurance companies. Well, you mentioned it took, you know, 10 years to really put these ideas into motion. Was there ever a point where you initially denied or refused to solve this problem because it was too large? Was there ever a point? Yeah, it was 10 years. I don't know that I would say I denied or, or refused, but I was scared. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a big, big, big undertaking. And now having been full-time at it for about four months, it's, bigger than it ever has been you know the deeper you get the the bigger it becomes but i couldn't be happier to to be tackling the issue but yeah it's a scary thing i think entrepreneurship in general is a scary thing i I just spoke with a a friend who i was catching up with about machine and and some of the things that we're each working on and he was saying that he respects the the entrepreneur journey and frankly so do i i grew up respecting it but now having watched you know some of the tech titans over the last 10 years really kind of changed the landscape of the world and, and do so with you know, just a, an initial idea. Definitely something that I've grown to revere. But I think at the same time, you know, that reverence is also intimidating yeah. and it, it makes it, um, yeah, it makes it scarier. And so I would say in that regard for anyone who's scared by their idea or scared of the, the, the work that's going to come, you know, you're not alone. Absolutely not. It's good to be scared because that means thinking about something that's worthwhile and big. Yeah. And I would say that the biggest thing is to just take small steps, you know, just take a, a single step forward. I know it sounds very cliche and trust me, I, I check myself all the time when, when I give advice and you know, I'm still at the very, very beginning, but I, I do feel like I've learned quite a bit and, and like to kind of share that with people and maybe not even just entrepreneurs, but you know, I think with any big problem that people are trying to solve, it all comes down to taking that first step and the first step turns into two, turns into five and 10. Yeah. Well, during our pre-interview, you also mentioned one of the skills that you had to develop was asking for help along the way. Who are the mentors that you asked for help as you were getting started and what did they teach you that really impacted your business? So just want to say thank you to everyone who has assisted me on, on this journey so far. I couldn't, I couldn't do it without you guys. You know who you are. I'm not going to call people out by name, but there's been a, a number of people. You know, I, I, it's another thing I would say, definitely leverage your network. You'd be surprised with how many people want to help and assist. And, and even if you don't have a, you know, a large network, and put yourself out there. I mean, again, that's something that you and I spoke about. I, I think now with you know, social media and, and the social tools that we have and forums, it's easier than ever to kind of get connected with people that you definitely wouldn't have otherwise. You know, I, I have uh, a few friends that I was in school with who are successful founders. And so they were uh, the first people that I went to with this idea. And, and, and as I started to kind of go down the road with it and get some traction. So a couple of my initial bigger 
moves or shifts or changes in perspective came from them. And it really kind of set the stage for the last three to four months in a, in a big way. And so, you know, definitely if anyone, anyone listening has any founders or anyone that started a business, any entrepreneur in their network, definitely reach out. They would love to, to help. I, I'm confident in that. And also speak to, you know, not even just entrepreneurs in your network. I guess that's the initial circle, but then, you know, branch out, start to tell people what you're doing. It, it helps keep you accountable for yourself, but it also, you know, people want to know, you know, especially if you're, you're doing something that's worthwhile and, and that will help. You never know who the people that you might not even know or might not have experience with what you're doing, who they could introduce you to. So it's that second and, and third you know, removed connection that might be a huge one. And frankly, that, that's exactly what it's been for me. You know, a couple of the, those initial advisors, I'll, I'll call them, helped me make some, some pretty impactful first moves. But it's been through some of the advisors that I've met through friends and even friends of friends that have really kind of helped me tweak and, and optimize and, and perfect our message and our offering. Learning from other people is, is a, a quick and relatively straightforward way of, of improving your skill set and, and knowledge about, you know, whether it's entrepreneurship or intricacies of, of the solution that you're trying to solve or the subset, uh, subcategory of the solution that you're trying to solve, you know, reach out. People are, people are more willing to help than you would think. Well, speaking of the, you know, first moves that you started taking with Mishi, obviously you had a, a background with deep insight into the market and you helped healthcare providers before to set pay rates. So how did you decide upon the marketplace model for your idea? So I had a client, a, a few clients uh, reach out to me, I would say maybe eight, nine years ago, first two years of, of my tenure in healthcare administration and revenue cycle, they reached out and asked for help crafting cash pay fee schedules, they call them, or essentially a menu of services for patients coming into their office without insurance. Those administrators knew that the the discrepancy between the bill charge <laughs> and what they were actually receiving from insurance companies was uh, vast and and that they wanted to make the cash pay rate more attainable yeah. and, and affordable. And so we used some of the prevailing pricing methodology in, in the industry, which is usually uh, contracts are based on a percentage of Medicare, you know, insurance carriers uh, for out-of-network providers, you know, those providers that are essentially able to bill whatever they want to the insurance carrier. A lot of insurance carriers will have a, a fee schedule that is 250% of Medicare by default or 175% of Medicare by default. Jeez. And the out-of-network providers, it's that out-of-network fee schedule, which is essentially, you know, all, all uninsured patients, uninsured consumers, anyone that's coming in off the street and wanting to pay cash pay rate, they're all technically out-of-network, mm -hmm. right? So that, you know, the, these insurance carriers, is interesting that they have those standards. And so we helped our, our clients craft, you know, rate schedules that were similar to those similar to the expected rates that they would receive from insurance carriers or similar to, you know, those default out of network rates. And that's where the idea for the marketplace came from because the thought was, okay, if people are coming into the office and looking for these rates or looking for care and are getting these discounted rates and they don't have insurance, you know, why not make that option available to everyone. Yeah. And I had also been privy to the, the difference between, you know, those contracts are, you know, from one provider to the next, even within the same specialty. And it all comes down to purchasing power and, and utilization. And there are a bunch of different metrics involved when negotiating with an insurance carrier. That dynamic is what led me to you know, kind of come up with the marketplace model is why not give everyone access to those rates without having to go in through insurance, without having to deal with the uncertainty of the uh, billing process, you know, a lot of claims. I saw a statistic that said one in four claims are denied first pass. And and frankly, I've seen it. Um, you know, for for no reason other than well, I mean, the carriers will will say that there are reasons. Yeah, but, justify a reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. But there are. I, I mean, I've I've heard from 
from you know insiders that there are edits that they have in place, essentially these rules that will kick out you know a, a number of claims just by default. And and when I say kick out, I mean deny. And if a, a provider doesn't have the wherewithal or the resources to address those in an appropriate way, then they won't get paid. Mm-hmm. So insurance companies you know, kind of pray. How does this marketplace model help solve problems for the provider? Yeah, the marketplace model is the goal with that was to provide people with simple access to the the true cost of care, to give providers that same revenue and, and allow them to essentially dictate the price that they want. Because again, the, they do have some uh, bit of difficulty in some instances in negotiating the rates that they that they prefer with insurance carriers. And, and that's why you see complaints of a lot of downward pricing pressure from insurance carriers against providers and you know, providers try to offset that with increased utilization and it, it results in burnout. And so the goal was to reduce burnout essentially and, and give providers more autonomy and freedom and deliver care in the ways that they want uh, while giving consumers the ability to access care based on transparent price. That's yep. another huge problem in the industry is price transparency. And, and it's great that it's been given a lot of focus over the last few years. You know, the the pre- prior administration put uh, an order or implemented an order that required hospitals effective January 1st of 2021 required requires hospitals to uh, post publicly on their website their negotiated rates and, and oh, discounted amazing. cash pay rates for for the care that they render for 300 shoppable services that they call them, which represent about I think about a fifth of all medical procedures that contribute to to you know our GDP. But it's unfortunate that a lot of hospitals have not come to the table and have not complied with that requirement. The concern being that they would lose leverage with insurance carriers in doing, you know, in publishing their, their cash pay rates. And to, the, to their defense, you know, a lot of billing arms, revenue cycle arms in hospitals and, and practices in general just don't have the resources or don't know what that average cash pay rate should be, whether it's because they are utilizing antiquated systems that don't have the you know, reporting capability to do so, or they don't have the, the, the attention towards this kind of option that, you know, that the public deserves. And so I think that's part of the issue is, is price transparency in general. It's been nice to see the, the industry or that concept get a lot more attention. Yeah. And, and that's kind of paved the way for, for us and, and our offering to be a little bit more well-received. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's still a little taboo and providers who I've seen in hospitals or providers increasingly are a little concerned about the ramifications of pub- publishing their cash pay rates. And when I hear a provider, you know, voice those concerns, I direct them to, you know, our clients and I direct them to other bigger providers in different markets that are already taking that, that forward thinking approach of, you know, publishing their rates so that people who want to and need to access care outside of the insurance model, you know, can know what they're going to be paying up front. And I commend those providers for, for taking that step and would love to get them on the platform. Which side of the marketplace, when you started building it, did you decide to go after first? Obviously, when you're building a marketplace, you know, you have two user groups. So did you get the consumers of the healthcare or the providers first? So providers. Okay. And you know, the, the thought is that we want to be able to offer a full suite of care to consumers who access the platform. Still building out our provider networks in San Diego and New York and uh, Los Angeles to Chicago and Houston. But the goal is to develop a, a wide array of uh, providers and services that would mimic the offering and the coverage that someone would receive uh, through insurance. Mm. Again, on average, most people don't spend more than $1,000 out of pocket towards healthcare each year. I believe that it's 50% of healthcare costs can be attributed to 5% of the population. So the value proposition is very different for both sides of the market. Providers were able to offer increased demand and through visibility and accessibility to their services by putting it on the marketplace, as you would see in any other industry that has a marketplace. I like to look at the DoorDash scenario or Airbnb, 
where you're getting directed to you know local businesses that have been offering these services they're just now getting increased visibility to those services and also we're taking out a lot of the overhead that's involved in collecting payment for services rendered and so that value proposition is very different from what we're able to provide to consumers which is you know, ease of access, affordability, price transparency, and soon the ability to, to split payments up. We're going to be integrating a buy now, pay later solution to, to increase, further increase access to care. There are some mm-hmm. people who, you know, have uh, pursued this model, you know, whether it's providers, there's a growing trend of direct primary care, which yep. is essentially a concierge or subscription healthcare where it's outside of the insurance-based model. You're paying a, a monthly fee for unlimited care or, or a certain criteria of a bundle of care, but usually the, the providers are available to you, you know, 24-7, which I think is great. And, and it does kind of show that there is support for consuming care outside of the insurance model. The same with consumers. You know, I, I speak to a lot of consumers who you know, they have a high deductible and when they're given the an order for an MRI. They have it inside their head that, okay, I don't want to go through insurance because I'm scared of how much it's going to cost because of all these, you know, war stories that I've heard and or seen in publications. And so uh, I I just had actually a a good friend of mine text me the other day asking how much should an MRI cost? (laughs) So I I replied with a link to our MRI search query on the platform. I thought that was really cool. But people are are pursuing this type of consumer forward shopping experience already. I, I would say it's still a, a small trend, but it's a growing trend. You know, people are fed up with, with the, the uh, massive size of the bills that they get. And to some extent, they know that there, there has to be a, a better way. We are bringing it to the mainstream and we are supporting it with a tech forward, consumer forward solutions and features that you know, help consumers access care help providers get increased visibility and accessibility to their services. And we cut out a lot of the intermediary, I don't want to say nonsense, but kind of nonsense. Yeah, the, the hurdles and the hoops that you got to jump through. And so we want to you know, take out some of that, some of those burdens and, and some of that overhead and, and move from delays and denials to equity and access. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to have insurance to have access to care, you know, and because of the the discrepancy between between the bill charge and the the contracted rate, and the fact that self pay patients, cash pay patients, in the past were increasingly billed that full fee, that bill charge that you would see in the news, you know, that's what has kind of caused, I would say, people to to believe that you need insurance to access those discounted rates, and that's that's just not the case. Yeah. You know, as you continue to build out your provider network and plan to offer a full suite of different medical services, you know, and expanding to other metropolitan areas, what strategies are you implementing to help grow Mishi? So high level, I would say we're iterating a lot. We're trying uh, uh, new things and experimenting. You know, pulled from some of what I've learned from the you know, lean startup methodology and one of them being marketing because we have to educate both consumers and providers on this new model of, of care, pay-as-you-go healthcare. So marketing is a, a huge tool for us. And there are so many different strategies yeah. that one can employ in marketing. It's incredible. I was a, a double major in college. Marketing was one of them. Finances. The landscape has completely changed over the last 10 years. There are so many different options and, and strategic ways to get your message out there and to engage with the community that we've been testing. So social media engagement through organic content on social media, whether it's uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok, you know, give, give everything uh, a shot. We have been, and it's been working very nicely. I would say a, a good mix between organic and paid advertising is helpful. In, in establishing the brand and building that trust and, and kind of setting the stage for who you are as a company and and who you know any leader is and their kind of style. Frankly, you know, with, I like to kind of I haven't done it so much, but we'll be 
kind of letting my my own style kind of bleed into a little bit more of our content as mm-hmm. I start to get more involved in that process because it isn't the brainless approach of okay, let's just throw money at Facebook advertising <laughs> sure. and hope that we convert. And there is a bit more involved and in, in not only from the education perspective, but just in, in terms of the relationship that we're looking to establish and the trust that we're looking to build with our consumers and our providers, you know, it, it requires that more personal touch. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I love doing you know, interviews like this so that people can get a sense for who I am and, and why we're doing this and hopefully get a sense for a better sense for the brand and what we're looking to accomplish and the security that we're looking to to bring to people and, and the public. Yeah. Well, speaking a little bit about you and, you know, it's showing who you are as a person. What does the phrase nobody cares work harder mean? It means everything. I would say that's uh, a phrase that embodies my work ethic and how I was raised. You know, life is hard and, and doing things that are worthwhile is hard. Yeah. And doing things that you're passionate about is hard, whether it's starting a business or being an athlete or an artist or, you know, doing, pursuing any passion that you have is difficult, but you owe it to yourself to pursue it because it's something that you want to do and taking control of, of your destiny. And, and I don't mean to be on a soapbox because again, it took me 10 years to get to that point, but I would encourage you to, to take anyone to take that first step. And I guess the, the point in, in me saying all this is that at the end of the day, you're responsible for your passion Mm. and your vision, and no one is going to give that to you. Mm. And so in terms of what it takes to get to that end point, if there ever is an end point, uh, which I think (laughs) for a lot of people there isn't, and probably for myself as well, but in terms of what it takes, no one cares. Like you, you know, this this takes hard work. Speak to anyone who's done, started anything, pursue their passion in any way. And I feel that, you know, they'll, everyone will tell you that it's took hard work. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to what you're willing to do for yourself and the lengths that you're going, willing to go to, to honor yourself and your desires. So the, the nobody cares work harder is a phrase that I really aligned with and I was super hyped to see Mar Jackson said that and I thought that it was huge and would love to thank him for publicizing that maybe not so popular view but it's because you know, it's a hard truth but it's one that I think is helpful mm-hmm. and one that I definitely um, definitely associate with obviously it's helped you you know get started on your journey and continue along but do you have like in a, a specific example of maybe a difficult challenge along on this journey that you had where this mindset really helped you get over that challenge designing the the site was really tough i'm not a designer i'm not a programmer thankfully i have a, a good amount of ui and us ux experience really more ux experience and not from a design perspective but just from you know, a, a use perspective. I tried to use as many technologies as I can. I'm an early adopter with everything I try to be at least. <laughs> and specifically with regards to healthcare and healthcare software, you know, I was, I rode the wave of EHR implementation and adoption you know, from the very beginning of the High Tech Act when, you know, the millions of dollars were pumped into the uh, EHR industry. And so I had, a, thankfully, a lot of exposure into implementing and configuring and optimizing those systems and also the, the databases that uh, were the back end and that ran them. And so although I did have some idea for how I wanted the data to travel and, and move and be stored and, and how I wanted the front end to look, it was so tough <laughs> to conceptualize that and to get it in in a format that could be built and created. The journey from idea to what you see at mission.co took the better part of a year. Mm. And, you know, I was working nights and weekends along with my more than full-time jobs at the time. And it, you know, designing it took so long. I, I have documents 20, 30, 40 page documents of, you know, going into detail about functionality 
mm-hmm. and different visuals of what it could look like and seeing the different iterations from the time when it was all, all text to, you know, some screenshots to then, you know, working with the designer to create wireframes to then working with, you know, product house to, de- to develop the, the platform, the, the UI and UX and the, and the back end, you know, the, the progression is, is wild, but no one seemed to really care about <laughs> the struggle. Sure. And, you know, the, the people that I worked with, you know, my partners in the beginning, they were super comforting, but it wasn't, you know, this, this is my idea. This is my vision. And only I knew how it was going to work, both from, you know, again, from, from the workflow perspective and from, you know, the user experience perspective and, and the back end. And so, yeah, it was like, okay, who, who am I going to, who am I going to complain to? Yeah. You know, who am I going to say, oh, why aren't you helping me? Like, it, you know what I mean? So, so that I would say was, you know, and, and there are plenty others, but in yeah. terms of what took me the longest and what was the most painful and, and what I am most proud of, at least to this point, is the design. Yeah. You know, our goal was to, my goal was to make it very user-friendly and seamless and straightforward. And from what I've been told and, and from you know, feedback and, and testing, we, we accomplished that. Now, there's still a lot of work to be done visually and, and you know, with regards to a little bit of content. I think we might have made the platform a little too simple mm-hmm. to the point where some people who, who are directed to the marketplace don't exactly know what we're doing and, and the value that we bring. And so you know, I take responsibility for that and, and we're, we're working towards addressing that. But you know, we, we, we got it done. I, I got it done. And yeah. that, I would say, you know, that mentality is what helped see that through. Mm. Is that, listen, this is all on you. No one's going to help you. I mean, I did get help, but no one's going to do it for you. Yeah. No one cares at the end of the day. No one's going to do it for you. No one cares that you want them to do it for you. Unless you want to pay someone an, an insane, and when I say insane amount of money, I'm talking, we did, we, you know, my partners went out and tried to get estimates or did get estimates for what it would take to develop the platform based on my notes without visuals, without wireframes. And the estimates that we received were more than five times what it ended up costing Jeez. after we went through the process of you know, developing wireframes and kind of doing what was required and what the kind of standard is when when developing a, a tool and, and platform like Mishi. Thankfully, I had advice from a, a friend who's a senior developer at LinkedIn, and he told me that I was silly for trying to go out and try to get estimates based on text and, and notes, and that I needed the wireframe. And that that's really what kind of changed everything. And that's what started us down the road. So yeah, I would say that that's definitely it. Yeah, I think that's a excellent example and such a strong mentality because the reality is, is you're correct. You know, you have this vision and it's your responsibility to bring it to fruition. Nobody else is going to do it. Otherwise, they would have already done it for themselves. So excellent perspective. You know, something else is providing underserved populations is, you know, very important to you, which is why Mishi is launching its Fund the Care initiative. So can you explain what this is and why it's so important? Absolutely. Thanks so much for, for bringing that up. So we, with our Fund the Care initiative, we have started down the road towards funding care for underserved members of the communities that we're serving across the country. So we essentially are accepting um, donations from you know, people in the community and, and using those donations to fund care that's offered on the platform. Mm. So the way that it works is we'll be hosting an application on our uh, site. It's going to be fundthecare.mishi.co and people in the community will be able to apply for funding for specific services. Our initial set of services that we're going to be offering are cancer screenings for cervical and breast cancer and uh, colon cancer. And so I'm super, super uh, Excited and, and honored and get pretty emotional when um, thinking about that, having known people who have been afflicted by those, uh, those diseases and cancers, fuck cancer. So <laughs> very, very, very thrilled to, to be being able to help people identify and, and, and intervene early 
on should they have you know early onset of cancer. So go onto the platform, submit your application, and we'll send you a, a virtual card that you can use towards and only towards the uh, the care uh, that you applied for on the platform. So you'll follow the same steps as you would uh, a paying customer. I mean, technically you are a paying customer of the care and of the screening services. And so providers won't know the difference. That's that's another thing that I've, I wanted to protect against is bias against some of the underserved, against the underserved population. I've fielded bias even in speaking with people about what I'm doing. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, I don't know that this is going to work meeting Michi in general and, and, yeah. and this model in general. I don't know if this is going to work because it's only going to be the people without insurance and, and poor people that are going to uh, want to pursue the care and providers don't want to deal with poor people. <laughs> and uh, that kills me for a number of reasons that really, really bothers me. But uh, I would say in, in the context of fund the care, the provider won't know. They'll, they'll receive the request as they would any other consumer and they will render the care as they would any other consumer and they won't know the difference. And so it removes some of that that bias uh, that unfortunately is, is there. Amazing. This feels really similar to GoFundMe, which has been used by many people, you know, who can't afford uh, costly operations or medical care. How does Mishi's fund the care compare to GoFundMe? The goal is to automate the process. These are going to be the, you know, this workflow is the, the, the beginning stage of the automated process whereby we're going to essentially provide a, an, an automated way for people to either anonymously or publicly you know, submit requests for care that's on the platform and give the public either anonymously or publicly the ability to fund that care in a way that might look a little similar to GoFundMe and how yeah. you know, 30% of GoFundMe's balance sheet is for medical care. And, you know, there are tons of articles that talk about how, you know, the GoFundMe and philanthropic funding is, is a, a huge um, trend and, and a way for a lot of people to access care because it's so expensive and they can't afford it. And I think that that's amazing. But on the flip side of that, you also see a lot of GoFundMe campaigns be scrutinized for fraud, you know, people purporting needs for care or, or funds that they don't actually need. And so those funds don't and aren't actually used for their intended use. And so with with Michi, the the beauty is that we're able to bring transparency, not only to the pricing, obviously, but uh, to the the kind of process. And we're we essentially guarantee that the money that is donated and and the the funds that are, are granted to the underserved are actually used for care and go directly to the providers of that care. So it cuts out you know, the, the in-between process and you know, we're hoping to make that the norm when it comes to philanthropic funding. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm super excited about that. And mostly just because I want to, you know, there are a lot of gaps, gaps with regards to coverage and, and gaps, even with regards to some of the, the public initiatives that uh, exist to help people underserved communities access care you know, there are usually the, the the eligibility requirements come down to income and it's interesting it's the same with you know, one's ability to access you know medicaid in a lot of states it all comes down to income and there are a lot of people that fall within the, the cracks and in the gaps where they make a little bit too much money to qualify for the assistance but they still can't afford it. Yeah. And so they end up avoiding care because they're one concern, either concerned about, you know, the uncertainty of the price, but with regards to fund the care there, they just don't have the funds. And so people go without, you know, some of the, the screening care that's recommended you know, by the CDC, they go without that for years. And by the time that they realize or, or that, that a need for care is identified, it's too late. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have experience with that in, in my family and with people that I love. And so I'm um, looking to address that problem and, and address the gaps. You know, there's too many people living and, and operating in the margins and, and not getting resources that they need. And um, hoping that with this, this approach, it'll, it'll close the gap and, mm-hmm. and increase access 
Yeah. I mean, part of your long-term vision for Mishi is to be sort of a backbone for, you know, government-funded healthcare. What are your thoughts on universal healthcare and, you know, what are the benefits of it and maybe some of the drawbacks that people don't always see? So, great question. Universal healthcare, socialized medicine, Medicare for all, government-funded healthcare. Of those, I choose government-funded healthcare. Socialized medicine, universal medicine, Medicare for all. We have evidence of that not working currently in our country. When you look at Medicare, which is uh, you know, uh, government-funded healthcare for people above 65, that's fraught with abuse and overutilization and fraud, frankly. When you look at Medicaid, it is fraught with abuse and fraud and the gaps that exist and, and the delay in care and the notoriously poor quality of care, even with the VA, you know, uh, again, delays. It was interesting. I, I was educated to the fact that, and very recently so, that the VA prioritizes care for veterans who have issues that resulted from combat or, or their service. And so if you go into, and I had no idea about this, you know, you, you hear about the, the stories on the news of people dying in the, e, in the ER because they don't have the enough nurses to adequately triage people appropriately. Listen, I'm, I'm very grateful for the government funded approach. And I'm very grateful that these systems exist and I'm not trying to knock them. I'm just saying that there is a better way. And I think that you know, the, the public has been yearning for that for quite some time. You know, Medicare for all is, I would say, the, you know, has a lot of uh, support. And I think what people mean when they say Medicare for all is government funded care. Mm-hmm. And that you know, people should be given access to care by the government in some way. Where the people who push back doing so within the context of Medicare will cost far too much money mm-hmm. because of how much abuse and overutilization and lack of, of care management and kind of a, a little bit of a, a free for all exists within the, the confines of Medicare. And that's why you hear a lot of politicians saying it, 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 it's not realistic because how, how are we going to pay for that, you know, with taxes? And so when I say that I would love for Michi to be the backbone for government funded care. The idea is that the government should be able to allocate money for healthcare spending to individuals and have those individuals only be able to use that money for healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so that currently, to some extent, health savings accounts allow people to contribute income tax-free to uh, a fund that can be used as an investment tool, by the way, which I think is very cool. So somewhat similar to a 401k, but it allows people to contribute funds tax-free, which you know, to some, in some instances can save people tons of money towards uh, a fund that can only be used towards medical services. And so my hope and vision for for Michi's involvement and role in this type of government-funded option is that the government could fund an HSA or establish an HSA for people or some type of financial tool that could then be used to purchase care in a free market that gives people access to you know affordable rates and allows people to save money over time uh, that they don't use. Like one of my biggest gripes with the health insurance uh, industry is that you're not able to use the funds or even a portion of the funds that you don't actually utilize. So there's no rollover benefit. Thankfully, there is with HSA, but with you know standard coverage, there's no rollover benefit. So whatever you don't use, you lose. Hmm. If you contribute uh, $5,000 of your $6,000 deductible and the year ends, starts over. So we want to give people a way access care in a, a transparent and kind of consumer-centric way, similar to how they would in any other industry, and have it that care be funded by 
the government. And I liken it also similar to how you know the government was able to send and and give stimulus checks to a lot of people to stimulate the economy and, and ensure that people didn't succumb to you know, the, the economic pressures of, of the pandemic. And so if, if that was doable in a relatively short period of time, then it should be doable for the government to allocate a certain amount of funds, whether it be you know, a certain amount of funds per year on a sliding scale from the time that you're a baby to the time that you know, you're a senior, or you know, a, a flat rate each year, I think that it would be that would give people access to the care that they need for the mm-hmm. most part. One thing I do want to say is you know, that, that whole concept of allocating funds to people each year, it already exists in, with Medicare Advantage plans. And so this is something that I don't think a lot of people are aware of and a reason for why the insurance carriers and, and these uh, new companies that are coming on the scene and, and providing insurance, the ones that are blowing up are increasingly Medicare Advantage plans. Mm-hmm. The reason is because the government allocates $13,000 towards consumers who opt for a Medicare Advantage plan. Medicare Advantage meaning you know, commercial-sponsored Medicare coverage that is intended to give consumers slightly more benefits and freedom and less potential out-of-pocket costs. Medicare, by default, the co-insurance, the patient responsibility is 20%. So if you have a you know, $10,000 procedure, you're on the hook for 2,000 of that. Mm-hmm. And so the, the government will pay, pays, if you opt for Medicare Advantage, the government pays the insurance carrier $13,000 and any amount under 13,000 or whatever you utilize under $13,000, the insurance company gets to keep that. Same way they get to keep the, the premiums. So it's interesting that the fastest growing companies in the insurance sector are Medicare Advantage companies, given the concept that the government is funding $13,000 each year for people 65 and up who opt for this Medicare Advantage coverage on top of the premiums that the, the insurance carriers charge for these Medicare Advantage plans, which aren't as much as the, the standard premiums because, you know, again, it's, it's augmented by the government. But very interesting how they're growing at such an exponential rate off of the backs of taxpayer dollars yep. that are intended to go towards care. So, yeah, it exists. Government-funded care exists. It just is not done in a way that has helped people. And so uh, I would love for Mishi to be the tool and the vehicle uh, by which people are able to access care using the funds provided by the government in uh, uh, a free market way Mm -hmm. that promotes innovation and that yields price equilibrium based on supply and demand and and quality and any other factors that go into the economics of price in in any given market and want to give people the, the ability to just be consumers like they are in any other industry and, and be able to you know, pursue the, the best deal you know, based on quality and, and price and, and access care in an equitable way. Well, before I get to my last question, is there a call to action you would like to leave our listeners with today? Yes. Educate yourself on price transparency and pay-as-you-go healthcare. I challenge you to educate yourself on the amount of money that you're contributing towards the premiums that you're paying for the the coverage that you receive and tally up the care that you've utilized in the past year, a couple of years, whatever that looks like, and do a comparison. See how much care you're utilizing, what that care would cost out of pocket, paying you know, a cash pay rate, and you could utilize Mishi, you could utilize uh, for, for to, to research those prices, you could utilize you know, the Medicare website. Medicare has a procedure lookup tool that will provide people with the Medicare price for any service. So you just have to know the CPT code, which can easily be Googled, or you can find on FairHealth, uh, fairhealthconsumer.org, I believe is URL. And you know, tally up those amounts and compare. For most people, 
I guarantee you that the discrepancy is vast, mm-hmm. that, that you know, most people who are, are contributing towards their uh, premiums are spending you know, thousands of dollars a year and are utilizing hundreds and maybe you know, a thousand or two towards the, of care, utilizing you know, a, a much less rate or a much lesser amount than what they're paying and see what alternatives might exist. I'm not going to say that you should drop your insurance because I, I wouldn't advise that. Dropping your insurance for Michi, although you know, eventually or, or based on what you see, you might feel that that is a, a, you know, a viable option. And, and based on your level of health and your, your, your risk tolerance, that might be you know, something that you could, would consider. And trust me, I'm saying this because I've heard people, you know, heads of families, say that they intend to do this based on you know, what they learned about uh, pay-as-you-go healthcare and, and, and what we're looking to, to popularize. So get, get a sense for what those differences is, different, uh, what the difference is, and pursue you know, maybe an alternative option. Maybe instead of opting for the more expensive plan with uh, a higher premium, maybe opt for the lesser expensive plan that has a higher deductible that that still covers you above you know for for catastrophic injuries or conditions but at a lesser monthly rate than you would have to pay or than than you might be paying currently and then you know look to see what options are available what care options are available in your area which providers are offering you know the services for cash pay rates i i would say again most of them i think at this point most providers have an idea for what their cash pay rate should be some of them post them publicly, and I, I plan to be able to make that process very quick and easy for you in the next couple of months. So you get a sense for how much you could be saving depending on the different options that you choose. And again, HSA, fully recommend it. Look into it, tax-free, save a lot of money, and it, you, you can use it as an investment vehicle, very similar to a 401k. And check us out. Mishi.co. We're on Instagram at Mishi.co on Twitter at Mishi.co. You feel free to, to reach out to me. You could reach me at info at Mishi.co or Sydney at Mishi.co. Our phone number is, is publicly listed. If you want to give me a call or, or shoot me a message on our, our chat bot. It's not a chat bot. I'm actually at the other line and we have our, our team on the other line actually answering, you know, questions and, and engaging with people. Cause again, it's all about education, but yeah, we'd love to hear from, from any of the listeners who are interested and intrigued and want to learn more. And also would love to hear from any of the listeners who are passionate about, you know, increasing access to affordable care and, and activism in general and, and want to kind of do something to help the public and have expertise in the areas of software development and marketing. I'm looking to build out a killer team so that we could really, really make a dent in the industry. And, and I'm excited. I've started down that line and to have a accredited physician who is joining the team and he's going to also help get make this message more vocal and help educate people, but looking to, to round out the team from a tech and a, a marketing perspective. And also we're, we'll be entering our, we're currently in our pre-seed round. We'll be entering our seed round of fundraising towards Q4. So any prospective investors, angel investors, you know, feel free to reach out. We'd love to speak with you. And especially if you have expertise in the areas of you know, software as a service, marketplaces, or uh, direct-to-consumer healthcare. Awesome. Well, we will put that all in the show notes um, for people to make it very easy to find. Uh, my last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? I would say trust. I think a lot of conflict that exists stems from lack of trust. Lack of trust in ourselves, lack of trust in one another, lack of trust in the systems that govern the way that we conduct our lives you know people who who innovate and create the the infrastructures that change the world were able to do so because they believed and they trusted themselves and they trusted that their message would be heard and the solution would work and that even if it didn't work initially that they could 
make it work or that they could find a way to, to make it work. Nothing's perfect. I think that the ability to make the world a better place comes down to trusting who we are, trusting that we're, we're all one and that we all deserve to be treated with respect and dignity and um, truth. Sydney, thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing your story and about Mishi. Very excited to see it grow. I'll be moving to Austin, Texas in the fall. So looking forward to maybe seeing it there eventually. Absolutely. And uh, Brandon, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate what you're doing and I wish you the best and and hopefully look forward to uh, meeting you in person. Thank you for listening and joining the Evolution Revolution. If this episode was impactful for you, then share it with a friend because pushing the world to evolve takes more than just you or I. Until next time, my friends, keep evolving. Keep evolving.